you haven't heard yet, the big news, you guys, in cryptocurrency world is that Tesla has parked one and a half billion dollars of its cash into Bitcoin. Yes, even if you don't get Bitcoin or you don't ever intend to buy it or it's too expensive, people who doubted Tesla CEO Elon Musk in the past have lived to regret it. His announcement actually caused Bitcoin to blast through its $43,000 previous all-time high. Oh, and Tesla also announced, you know what? If you want to pay for one of our cars in Bitcoin, we'll take it. We'll take it as a form of payment. You know, I bring this up because a few weeks back, we hosted top Bitcoin bully, Peter Schiff on the podcast. He hates it, sees no value. And while some other people might be intrigued, they wouldn't even begin to know how to buy at least a bit of a Bitcoin. Enter Alex Edelman. He's the co-founder and CEO of Lolly. He found a way to bring the most mysterious form of currency into your wallet in the easiest possible way in the form of a reward. Alex was already scheduled to join me on my Everyone Talks to Liz podcast. But, you know, Alex, we've got this unbelievable story developing with Elon Musk. Right off the bat, welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. What do you think and what's your take on the Tesla news in buying and parking a lot of money, a three comma number in Bitcoin? It's been it's been really exciting. Um, I I actually I I, uh, I called this uh, about three months ago that that was this was going to be the the year that a lot of the corporations uh, started to adopt Bitcoin on their treasury. Um, and the reason why I was I was thinking that is is uh, or, or saw that is because about three years ago when we started we started bringing on merchants um, you know into Bitcoin and we've yeah. seen their interest rise over time. We've seen that Bitcoin as a reward. Uh, mechanism is an incredible way to attract a new customer. And, and so we were like, okay, it's only a matter of time. And then when MicroStrategy is run by Michael Saylor, uh, when they started to adopt Bitcoin on their balance sheet and Bitcoin started to go up, um, and then he started to educate other treasuries, other CFOs uh, and, and company leadership um, around uh, the US and many parts of the world, we were like, it's only a matter of time before the rest of the world adopts it. And Tesla being the innovative company that it is, Elon being the visionary that, that he is, I think finally came around to seeing the, the power of Bitcoin. And I think it's only a matter of time till the rest of the world uh, starts to adopt Bitcoin in the same way that Elon and Tesla are. But you understand the fear factor. It's so different. And it's so hard for many people to wrap their minds around because they can't see it and they can't touch it. Like you can a $20 bill or you can look into your bank account and you can see it and then stick an ATM card in the machine and get something back out. There is no actual coin you get out. So there's that fear of the unknown. Let's talk about how you've actually made it incredibly easy to own little pieces of Bitcoin and people don't have to do anything except do what they were going to do anyway, which is buy a pair of Nikes or go to Walmart and buy something. Exactly. And, and that's, that's what it is. It, it, we have created the easiest way for people to get Bitcoin. And it started out of a frustration. Um, you know, when I first learned about Bitcoin um, back in 2013, 2014, I, it, I was like, you know, this is not going to be attractive to the masses. It, the only way to, to get into it back then was to either mine it or to invest in it. And you had to spend like seven, sometimes 
seven days, sometimes many weeks, uh, getting approved, putting your bank account information in, and then taking your hard-earned money and buying it. And, and so uh, early on, I was like, okay, there has to be something else to get the masses involved. And uh, with my last company, you know, we ended up uh, having some success and ultimately got acquired by Rakuten, uh, the biggest cash back company in the US I and many well. parts of the world. Yeah. And, and so we got to learn uh, the cash back business model and seeing all these people who were obsessed with their cash back and how much they love getting rewards and all their purchases coupled with the, the fact that Bitcoin had not been adopted by the mainstream. And because the only ways to get into it were, were through investing or through mining, both of which are very difficult. And a lot of times, most people are not going to go invest their hard-earned money into a volatile asset. So enter uh, Lolly, and we've solved a lot of the pain points and the problems around getting into Bitcoin. And you mentioned Rakuten. Rakuten, of course, is a rewards program. You buy something and you get part of it back. And these are brilliant. I mean, my first rewards program I ever got involved in was You Promise for college funds at 529s. And you would buy something from Bye Bye Baby or Target and a percentage of it of what you spent would come right back into your college account. And of course, I had an infant and I thought this was just the greatest thing in the world because I was constantly buying a bunch of crap. But anyway, you know, to you, you looked at this and you said, well, let's give people their reward money back in Bitcoin. How did you get this up and running over at Lolly? Because you would have to first invest and buy a bunch of Bitcoin, right? So that you could then give it back to people. Not necessarily. So we, we buy when our merchants pay us. So um, basically, we, you know, we, we now work with over a thousand different merchant partners. Uh, these are, you know, Macy's, uh, uh, Expedia, Booking.com, you name it. Uh, we, have, we have quite a few. And these merchants pay us when our users shop their site. And then we send Bitcoin to our users' wallets. Um, and, and so making it very, very easy uh, for them to, to uh, get into it. So we actually don't have to buy the Bitcoin up front. Uh, we buy in a, on a real-time basis, similar to how a fund would do it or an investment vehicle, um, except instead of it being an investment vehicle, it is a actual real company with a real business model that is going and buying the Bitcoin on behalf and then abstracting it away in the form of a rewards company. If I buy a $200 pair of Nikes, what do I get back? I think you would, to date, you would probably get around 15 to $20 in Bitcoin. Okay. Okay. Hey, listen, over time for you shopaholics out there, suddenly you'll find yourself with some real, some real Bitcoin without really risking your neck and forgetting a password or, or do you need a password to get it back? And, and I actually want to uh, touch on that, that earlier point, because I think it's, it's really great. Cause when you and I first met, uh, Bitcoin was, I think was around like 4,000, 5,000. And, and so if you had bought those Nikes then and earned that $20, you would now have $200 in Bitcoin. Yeah. So I think a lot of our early users that, that, that saw this as an opportunity and chose us over cash back, they've been rewarded for it. And as Bitcoin continues to be adopted by more people and, you know, keep in mind, there's only 21 million of these, of, of these Bitcoin that you can, you know, earn Bitcoin as Bitcoin you know, continues to go up. Uh, that those rewards are going to continue to go up as well. And then it'll have more buying power in the market. And you can do whatever you want with your Bitcoin. You can move it to a Bitcoin address, to an exchange. You can move it back to US dollars if you really want to and take your earnings. Um, but it's really up to you. It's so 
It's so exciting, but so confusing because you just said there are only 21 million Bitcoins out there. It is a finite number. Try and wrap your mind around that, you guys. Uh, and here Elon bought 1.6 billion of it. So there's less of it now. Yeah, there's, there's a lot less now. So that's, that's why the price is going up. Uh, there's a lot less Bitcoin. And now, if you, if you think about it, every treasury department at every one of these major corporations is now thinking, how do I get my hands on Bitcoin? And now there's not, there's, it, it, it's a limited supply and a lot of people don't want to sell it. So everyone's fighting over this scarce asset. And I think a good way to describe it is I, I like the analogy of digital gold. I think it, it makes a lot of sense, even though gold isn't, there isn't a, a absolute maximum, you know, we're finding new gold, at, you know, every day. Uh, it has similar characteristics, but a lot of people believe that it is way better than gold. And I'm, I'm one of those people uh, that believes it's, it's far better than gold um, because it has better properties. It's, it's way more saleable. Anybody in the entire world that has an internet connection, so that's 4 billion people can access Bitcoin, trade it with each other, and when you look at like what the world needs right now, we need to be brought together. We need to be able to enact commerce internationally and uh, in, you know, with each other to be connected. And I think it's, a, it, it's one of the most important technologies I have ever seen in my entire life. It's, I mean, it's right, right up there like when I first uh, you know, came across the internet. It's like, it's, it's going to change the world. It already has changed the world and it's in day one. I want to describe you right now to our listeners because I can see you via Zoom. You guys, he looks like your classic Silicon Valley kid, right? You know, with the with the black T-shirt, he's got the headset, he's got the green plant behind him. He's <laughs> totally comfortable in his own skin. And yet you grew up as a kid in North Carolina. Paint that picture for us. Yeah, born and raised. Uh, born and raised in North Carolina. Um, I... I grew up, uh, I, I would say I grew up like building things. Um, that was always my passion. Um, I, I, someone asked me the other day if I always like thought I was going to be a founder or thought I was going to be an entrepreneur. And, and truthfully, I never really thought about that. My, my dad uh, was a psychotherapist. My mom was a child developmental specialist. Um, I, that's, you know, what, you know, what, what I largely knew. Um, I, I think that, I always was attracted to building things from a very early age. And, you know, while those started with like Legos and connects and art, uh, I, when my, when my family got a computer, when I was around like 11, um, I quickly gravitated towards that. And I went straight from like building, you know, physical objects to, uh, building digital objects. And so I would play these video games and I would want to learn how they were made. And then I would want to go build the video games. And I, I would try to like sell them to friends at school and uh, <laughs> see if anyone would buy it. And then I started to like really understand why people, you know, would buy games, what themes people liked. So at, at an early age, I think I was always, I always gravitated towards uh, creating things that people wanted. And yet you went to UNC Chapel Hill for college and you studied economics. Wow. I did. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so I was I, I kind of felt like I had taught myself technology. Um, I learned I, I learned how to code by myself or from the internet, really, from you know, it's a incredible resource. <laughs> um, and so I, I learned how to code. I learned how to build by myself. And so I, I'd never really thought like about uh, studying computer science. Um, I, I was more like self-taught. And I actually like tried to get into you know business undergrad business school, and I didn't actually get in. 
uh, to the business program. <laughs> that and should I, tell people a lot. <laughs> it was always, it was funny. Cause I, I had like, I'd made some serious money doing, you know, programming and, and building platforms for people. Um, I, I was running a real business on, on, on the side. I don't think my grades were good enough, um, but it also wasn't really my focus. So I, I did almost like naturally gravitate towards economics and I loved economics. And I, I truthfully don't know if I would truly understand Bitcoin at, when I saw it, if I didn't study economics, I don't think learning business really teaches you about how to look at the world and how to understand markets and economics definitely does. Um, I, I look at the world now very much through the lens that, that I did in, in, in school and uh, really understanding both my, on a macro level and a micro level of like what people want and how people make decisions um, both on a macro level and micro level. So that's where I found microfinance. And I started to study the Grameen Bank and everything that uh, Muhammad Yunus was doing in Bangladesh sure. uh, to enable the de democratization of commerce. So I got really fascinated with this idea of uh, that being my life's mission and what would I do to impact the world and how would I take everything that I knew from technology, build technology that was going to solve a lot of the, the economic problems with the world. And what I think one of the biggest problems of the world is access. We don't have like the internet opened up access to information, but it didn't necessarily connect us all through commerce. And I, I think that when two people or two countries, or two organizations are connected through commerce, those bonds are stronger. There's less war. There's people that want to, you know, stay, you know, do business together. And I think it's an incredibly important thing for the world for us to be more connected, not less connected. Indeed. So yeah, I, I, I very quickly had come up with this idea for Cosmic which was my last company, um, based on that idea. Let's get to that, because it's rare that the first attempt is a home run, okay? You founded a company, and tell me about the challenges that you faced at that point. Because people, and we say this almost every time on Everyone Talks to Liz, they think it's easy. They look at the end of where you are, and where Elon Musk is, and they don't see the blood, the sweat, the tears, the failure, the sleepless nights, right? So tell us a little bit about that. I'm asking you to tear it open and reveal the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> and and you're, you're, you're totally right. It's a, it's a lonely and, uh, and difficult game um, to play. Um, I think building anything is. Um, when you're building something that, the, that most people don't believe in, it it, uh, it's hard. It, it feels uh, isolating and you really have to have confidence and faith in yourself um, and the people around you to go build the future that you want to live in. So I, I, I found, um, you know, I, I failed many times before Cosmic. And so I don't, Cosmic was, was uh, it, it, it seemed like it was, um, you know, kind of a one for one and, and that it worked out kind of the first time. But it was an absolute slog before then. And the first four years of Cosmic were, were um, some of the most difficult things I, I've ever done. Uh, when we started this, you know, going back to being in North Carolina, I didn't know Silicon Valley. I didn't know what, what a VC was, an investor was. Um, I, I had only been to New York, you know, a handful of times because my, my family, you know, is, is, uh, has roots there. And so I, I didn't really understand, I think, the world of tech. Um, I just, I knew tech from you know, my, my, my computer in my living room, right? Like I knew it from like being connected on the internet, but I didn't actually know what it was like to go build a tech company. 
And I, I heard the other day um, that one of the most important movies of all time was The Social Network. And I think it's very interesting. And I don't think that movie, I don't think I saw that movie until like way later, but I think it's an interesting um, uh, thought because it, it really showed sort of this like, part of the US that makes the United States so incredible. It makes America so great. And it's, it's, it's the fact that like you can go build something being anywhere mm-hmm. and you can have this meteoric rise and you can affect the entire world you know, from your basement. And that is, that is an inspiring story. And, and our, our story, I mean, we're not there yet. We're not Facebook, but we are, we, I, I hope we're on our way. And we did really start like, you know, out of my, you know, staying, like living at home, living at my, um, with my parents. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was a, a, a crazy road. So basically how we started, we had this idea. Um, we didn't have a, uh, anyone to build it. And I, d- I was not technologically uh, savvy enough to build the level, the level of sophistication that this product that was going to, you know, change the world. I, I couldn't build it myself. And so I ended up going, I'll sort of shorten this, but I ended up going through five CTOs, five chief technology officers to, to go find the the perfect one, which ended up being Matt, which is, he's still my co-founder today, nine years later. (laughs) And, and so it it really took, um, I mean, it it took working with a lot of people going through a lot of different uh, interview processes, uh, hiring, firing, everything for the first like six to nine months before we found the perfect person. And a lot of that was like, I mean, I was going all around the country uh, trying to sell this thing, uh, the solution, the idea of the solution to as many people as possible. And I remember like the first moment where I thought we would have any, like looking back, any semblance of a resemblance of, of uh, success. We, uh, I had met Matt and I was like, we need a prototype because in two weeks I'm going to a conference in Las Vegas um, my friends had a ticket to the conference that I had convinced them to give me an extra one for free. I, I, w- I had bought an iPad that I couldn't afford and was later going to return on the 30 day policy. The only thing I actually paid for, I think was the flight out there, which was like $150, $200. So I was like, Matt, we need a prototype because I'm about to go sell this thing to like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of merchants. So he worked really, really hard. He built a prototype. I went and I went to this conference and I went booth to booth to booth to go sell this, this solution. And it was a very, um, we'll just say it was a, it was a, it was a rough prototype. Um, and so I ended up uh, selling 76 brands um, on this solution. And people said, I want this thing. When you build it, I will pay for it. And, and so that was our first moment of like, okay, this is something that people want. And I remember after the third day and I had lost my voice entirely and <laughs> I was, I was like, I was so tired and I, I was just like, you know, muscling through it and it was in the final hours. And so I, 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 I literally couldn't pitch anymore. Like I, I couldn't talk. I just seemed ridiculous. So I hopped into this uh, keynote speech and there was this, this guy, his name was Keith George and he was giving this talk on the future of commerce and in technology. And, uh, and so he was a chief executive or he was a uh, executive at Gilt Group. Um, and they, you know, they were a leader in the e-commerce space. And, and, and so uh, at the very end of his presentation, he said, over the next 10 years, you're going to be able to see something anywhere on the internet and buy it. 
And so I peeked up and I was like, oh my God, I need to talk to this guy. So I, I sprinted to be the first person to go talk to him after he was done uh, with his presentation. And I said, Keith, you don't have to wait 10 years. We're building that today. Let's find out a way to work together. So he, his, he says, come visit me in New York. And, we'll, and he's like, we'll make it happen. So that next week, I believe, I hopped on a flight to New York and I crashed on a friend's couch and uh, I pitched to Keith. I ended up meeting Kevin Ryan, who's I think one of the you know, best entrepreneurs in, in all of uh, the, the world and, yeah. and hand, almost hands down New York. Well, I mean, Kevin Ryan, uh, he ran DoubleClick back in the day. That was the, the dot-com blue chip out there. He obviously has just created so many different companies. He is an expert at it. He created Guild Group or he ran it. And then, of course, Business Insider. I mean, the list goes on. MongoDB. MongoDB is yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> it's such a huge company. And uh, listen, I, I get it. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listen Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You did not sit and wait. You took flying leaps. You paid for a plane ticket you probably couldn't afford. You found a way to have an iPad to be able to present this to people. Granted, I don't think uh, Apple would be thrilled that you were going <laughs> to no. use it and return it, but hey, whatever. Um, they're they're a partner Most importantly, you jumped so they, they ahead and, and <laughs> saw this guy, Keith George, and, and ran up there. You can't just sit back, right, Alex? I mean, you've got to... Be an active participant in your own rescue. Exactly. And, and you just have to keep going. And, and I, if looking back, it's like just meeting those people wasn't even enough. Like that in no way, like we, I feel like the journey had just gotten started. We had, I had a glimpse of, of what I could see, what I could get to. And I, I seen everything that, that Kevin had built and, and the incredible team that he had, he had, you know, created around him. And I, I got like a taste of what I wanted and what I, uh, what I thought I could achieve. And I was like, oh, I'm in the same room as, as one of the best entrepreneurs in the entire world. And, and it, I look back at moments like that and it, I, I really don't need that much validation, external validation. I feel pretty confident in my abilities and that knowing I can get anywhere I want to get to. But I'd be lying if I said that that moment wasn't a moment where I was like, okay, yeah. this is validation. This is why you work so hard. You can get there. Tell me about the name Lolly. That I like. I like that name. Thank Tell you. me about it. Yeah. So, so my dad, uh, he used to take my sister and I, my younger sister and I, uh, to the bank. And when we were younger, 
And I used to dread going to the bank. It was just, you know, one of those things as a kid, I was like, oh, I'd, I'd rather be home, um, you know, building or playing with you know, toys or something. And, and one of the things I, I the only thing I honestly that I look forward to going to this, uh, going to this institution was uh, the lollipops at the end. So I, I looked at, uh, I, I believe that Bitcoin is the bank of the future. And it's a bank that enables everyone in the world to have access uh, to a financial technology, uh, same financial uh, technology. And, and so I'm a big believer that, you know, Bitcoin, while, while unapproachable to some and in its current state, it needed that lollipop. It needed something to make it more accessible uh, to everybody. And so, yeah, we, we named the company Lolly um, as, a, as sort of a token of, of uh, what, what that means to us. Uh, trying to be that like lollipop at the end um, for for Bitcoin in its current state. Now, let me shove you around a little bit, Alex. Um, I am the one who sat down with Warren Buffett and his vice chair, Charlie Munger. These guys are arguably the greatest investors of our time. And I want to say about five, six years ago, I was at the Berkshire Hathaway annual shareholder meeting and Bitcoin was rearing its head. And I said, Charlie, what do you think of Bitcoin? And he thinks before he speaks. I've interviewed him enough times to know he's coming up with a doozy if there's a big pause. And he paused and he said, it's rat poison. <laughs> yeah. And then I think it was 300 bucks a coin back then. A year later, it's at 1,000. And I asked Warren and he said, rat poison squared. Right. And then years later, it was 5,000. And I said to Warren, well, it's 5,000 now. And he said, okay, it's a very expensive rat poison. <laughs> what do you say to smart guys like that with an established record of spotting fool's gold who say that Bitcoin is rat poison? They don't get it. Um, I think they're, <laughs> they're, they're smart, uh, but they're smart in different ways. And I, I actually, I take this from Warren is that he does what he knows and he does not know technology. He was so late on Apple, so late on Amazon. He missed almost every major tech you know, boom ever. And he just doesn't understand technology. It's his biggest weakness. And if he understood technology, he would be way further ahead. Not that he needs more money, but he has had so many misses over the years because he hasn't evolved. And, and honestly, he hasn't brought on people around him to, to help him see what he's missing. So I think that you know, Bitcoin will be many people's biggest miss uh, that are in his state. And you're starting to see you know, very sophisticated investors that are finally you know, starting to see the value that is Bitcoin. And, and Bitcoin, it's, you know, to, to, to their credit, the world's never really seen anything like it. It is so fundamentally different and it, and it captures so many beautiful things that are taken from so many different parts of the world. It's money, it's, it's uh, psychology, it's game theory, it's all of these things. It's it, technology, it's, it's incredible technology. Like no, it, nobody has been able to hack Bitcoin since you know, it was around. And, and the bounty on Bitcoin right now is $800 billion, right? So there's the incentive to hack Bitcoin and nobody has. And so it's all of these things in one. And, and really, I mean, I don't think Warren Buffett and uh, Charlie Munger are the best people to even judge it um, because they've, they've missed everything on, in the technology front. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, and he'd be the first to admit it. 
you know, he is the first to admit in his annual shareholder letter, we did something really stupid this year. We bought ConocoPhillips at its high. Uh, you know, that was just a dumb thing. And then it crashed. The airlines. Yeah, he goes on and on. Um, and so he, he gets it. He knows he makes mistakes. But listen, it's like batting. You're not going to bat a thousand. But if you can bat, you know, certainly half of that, why not? Okay, what happens, and this is just a personal question that I have that really gnaws at me, in this 21 million limit of Bitcoins that is out there floating around, what happens when all of them are snapped up and bought? How can the rest of us be turning it into this vision of worldwide global commerce that you have? So we are a very, very long way away from that moment. Um, the final Bitcoin, um, I believe, will be mined in 2,134. I have to double check that. But we are literally over, I mean, what is that, 115 years away, 116 years away from, uh, from that moment in history. Um, and so we have a long ways to go uh, before we get there. And Bitcoin will continue to be traded. And, and really, I mean, there's truthfully, there's way less than 21 million Bitcoin because Bitcoin has been, um, I mean, people have lost their Bitcoin. People have died. There's, there's so much lost Bitcoin out there that it's not actually 21 million. There's only, everybody has the same rules. And I think that's what, why it, it attracts so many people. You look at the financial system, you look at the, the Fed printing trillions and trillions of dollars. You look at the rule, the tax rules changing every day. Um, you know, there's new uh, governments coming in every four, every eight years and, and changing the rules on people. And at the end of the day, people are frustrated. They want to play by the same rules. And, and look at the rest of the world. If you think we're frustrated in the United States, imagine being in, in every other part of the world where you're completely reliant on the U.S. dollar or you're, you're relying on another currency, your, your, your own currency that's changing even more rapidly than the US dollar. And so people are looking for truth. They're looking for something that everybody can agree on. Mm -hmm. And if you can agree that this entity, this asset is, uh, asset's a better word, this, if you can agree that this asset has the same rules and every 10 minutes a new block reward is issued and every four years there's a happening and there's only 21 million of these things and everybody plays by the same rules that is a world that, that is going to a that is a better world and it's going to attract more and more people and nobody's been able to create a better bitcoin so far and i haven't seen anything even close you just mentioned the word truth where is the truth behind who created it? There's this entity, speaking of entities, Satoshi Nakamoto. Uh, we don't even know if he's a real person, but it was born, Bitcoin was born out of the financial crisis when people were so absolutely livid about, and you could go back to the Great Depression where they showed up at the bank and there was no money. Uh, and everybody's stock market value went down and it was just a horrific situation in 2007-8. So, do you have any insight as to who started this? I do not know. Uh, and no one does, really. I mean, there's, there's speculation about who it was or what group of people is Satoshi Nakamoto. Um, whoever they were, or who, who, whether it was an individual or a group of people, um, they were absolutely brilliant. Um, and it takes so many levels of expertise to, to create what they created. Um, and... 
I, I think that is, that is one of the most incredible things is that it doesn't matter who created it. That's the beautiful thing. Like everybody has the same source code. Everybody knows exactly what Bitcoin is. There's, for those of you who don't know, there are literally, it's a, you know, it's a eight page uh, white paper white that paper. anybody can read. And it's, it is not difficult reading. Like you read this thing and it's just beautiful in its simplicity of like what it is and everybody can see the exact same code. So one of the, one of the most beautiful things about Bitcoin is it doesn't matter who started it. And because the, the power of it is that in the decentralization, it's how many miners are there? How many people own it? How many people um, are running a node? It's, 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 it's the power of decentralization. And it's almost like a lot of people say that if we knew who Satoshi Nakamoto was, it would be more problematic because that person or that, that group of people could manipulate the price hypothetically um, by, by moving a, a lot of funds around. But those funds have not been moved around and they stay, stay stagnant. And so a lot of people do believe that he or they is no longer with us. Um, otherwise, because they're, you know, they're sitting on uh, billions and billions and billions of dollars of, of value and, and soon, probably one day, trillions of, of dollars of value. And it's almost better if nobody has access to that, that asset. What's the future of Lolly? Let's fast forward five years. Where do you see your company and this rewards program where people get Bitcoin in return for spending money? See, great question. So I look at Lolly as being an international rewards uh, company. I, I want to give everybody everywhere in the world, uh, no matter if you are in North Carolina or Bangladesh, uh, the ability to own Bitcoin um, and, and to really understand Bitcoin. Um, the, the progression where if I, could, you know, if I could predict the future, which you know, so far I I've, uh, haven't been too far off, um, <laughs> I, I believe that this next phase is a, that how we get to 100 million people uh, adopting you know, this incredible asset is through rewards. So making it really, really easy for people to get involved in Bitcoin everywhere. And, and so that's, that's, the, that's really what we're focused on to date. Um, I think that that looks like shopping rewards, surveys, um, very easy like games mm -hmm. that give people the ability to earn rewards uh, doing everyday things. Will you be public or will you have sold to a bigger company? I would love to to be public. Uh, it, it, I mean, I, my, one of my goals with this company is to IPO. Um, I don't see a company that aligns with our path as well as I know that we would do individual or like you know uh, as as an independent company. Mm -hmm. um, if if that ever changed, if I ever felt like we could reach a billion people by working with a company, I would consider it because it would fit with the mission of getting to as many people as fast as possible. Um, but there's very few companies that that are aligned with with my ideals uh, and that see the future in the same way I, I do. Otherwise, they would have built it. So, <laughs> you know, we're, we're on this path to make Bitcoin way more accessible and by starting with rewards. And once we start with rewards, then it can expand into other things. So you could imagine, you know, having rewards that are earning high yield interest rates because that's what Bitcoin yeah. is. It does. And that's that's what Wall Street traders are getting. That's what hedge funds are getting. Why, why shouldn't everybody have access to high returns on their money and not having low interest rates or negative interest rates from their bank? Okay. So folks, if you're on Bloomingdale's website and you buy something, you are going to get, if you buy through lolly.com, up to 5% Bitcoin back. 
it gets even better with some of these names. I'm on the website right now. Everything from Staples to Banana Republic, Cabela's, The Gap, Hilton, uh, Old Navy. I mean, these are all the companies that we know and we shop at. So why not get something back? right? I mean, that to me is a real opportunity. If you buy something on McAfee, 31.5% Bitcoin back. Uh, eHarmony, you guys doing the online dating, 27% back in Bitcoin. And the list goes on. These look a lot better as returns are concerned. Oh, one condoms. How'd you get them on board? 18% <laughs> back. I like that. Um, you know, so you've got, you've really got some incredible names here that Everlane and listen, I buy from them all the time, Athleta. So I, I, I urge people to check it out. It's a new way. And if you're just even thinking about Bitcoin and you're too scared and you're afraid you'll get locked out of your wallet or who the hell knows. I mean, again, I'm old. I don't get it either. I'm, I'm more on Buffett's side, but I, I still am way more open-minded about it, especially Alex, when you talk about it. Thank we you. wish you the best of luck. Liz, great talking with you. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. Alex Edelman, the company is lolly.com, L-O-L-L-I, not Y, right? Correct. Be well, good luck. And, and once you get your Bitcoin, you guys, and you need to figure out how to grow it or save it, spend it. We're there for you Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern. It's the Claim and Countdown. Thanks so much for joining us once again. I love that you guys listen. I really appreciate it. See you next time.